Amen and amen. Well, it's very good again to be with you today. Thank you for being here. A million other places you could be right now, but thank you. My goodness. Let's just see what Jesus could do. Amen. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 6 to verse 9. And this is something uh, I do get to, to teach about a lot, and I love this subject. Um, and we were kind of talking about it real quickly just a second ago because there is an intersection between the theoretical and the practical when it comes to growing a church. And, uh, and I, we got to get into the theoretical last night, but the practical is where the power is. Amen? All right, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Plant, water, increase. Plant, water, increase. We're going to talk about that today. So neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. Now he that plants and waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are laborers together with God, your God's husbandry, your God's building. I, I derive a few things from that. One is that nobody is worth more than anybody else in the kingdom. You don't have to do it my way. You don't have to be me. You don't have to be your pastor. But we all have to be laboring. And when we labor, we labor with God. And if there's any sort of work that I would want to do, it's the kind of work God is engaged in. When you're about the business of winning people, if you were to see supernaturally, God's right beside you in everything you do. Uh, so let's put our Bibles down, lift our hands to the Lord one more time. Lord, I pray that you would help us, you would speak to us, and that, God, you would give both inspiration and illumination today. I pray that, God, you would open the Scriptures to our understanding, help us to be better soul winners for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated if you haven't already. Thank you for being here again today. Give tremendous honor to Bishop Powell, to uh, our leadership team that's here, the pastors, the ministers, the district, thank you for letting me be with you. Thank you to all of our uh, perhaps informal leaders. Any role that you play in your church, I am thankful for. Uh, our tomorrow is dependent on you, so thank you for being here. Amen. First Corinthians 3 and 6, just that one uh, text that we open with. Paul writing to the Corinthian church says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I think that is the most succinct summary of God's revival plan that you will find in Scripture. Plant, water, increase. So I want to talk about it in those compartments, and I'll try and move as quick as I can. But I also know that you came here uh, this morning for a reason, and so stick with me. There's something valuable here. Let me talk about that first bit. Everybody say, planting. Planting. We all want to have great harvest. We all want to have great harvest. I don't think anybody in this room wants to have a small church with little harvest, few baptized, few getting the Holy Ghost, few miracles. But we should understand apostolic harvest the same as we would agricultural harvest. There is a proportionality between the measure of harvest we can have and the amount of seed we plant in the field. Is that okay? If you plant a little bit of seed, at best, you get a little bit of harvest. If you plant a lot of seed, at best, you'll have a lot of harvest. Is that okay? Come on, that's, that's common sense, right? I don't care the industry, the crop. You have got to get the seed into the field. Planting is pivotal for the church to be 
engaged in. If you are not busy about planting in some form or fashion, you have already sealed the destiny of the church. Some churches, if I was to just put my thumb in the air and guess where they would arrive in one year, I would probably ask just one question. I'd say, hey, pastor, let me see your schedule and I'll guess where you'll be in a year. When I got that schedule, I wouldn't count the number of eternal, uh, internal events. I wouldn't count the number of ladies' tea parties. I wouldn't even count the number of Bible quizzing extravaganzas that they're hosting. I would look for the planting-related activities. How many times are you making it a point to get into your field and plant some seed? And if that schedule is riddled with planting, that church will be riddled with revival. But if there's no planting on the schedule... You may have sealed your destiny for the year. So, we need to plant. Let me, uh, there's some of these uh, analogies I've used just to put the picture in our heads a little bit better. Um, one of which is I, I was on YouTube one day, and uh, man, I watched this video from Darren Brown, and I like kind of watching the Darren Brown stuff because he, he puts up a lot of stuff against religious people. And so I always like to kind of research what question may come up and I may need to answer. But this one wasn't really related to religion, uh, but it was an interesting video. So, you know, if, if, and those of you that are preaching, just go on YouTube. You'll always find something to preach about. But I'm on YouTube, and uh, man, he, here's how the video goes. I'll walk you through it. Darren Brown goes to the airport in a limousine, and he picks up a group of marketing executives. Now, these are the guys that make the commercials, the billboards for Coke, for Nike, and on and on and on. Loads them all into a limousine. They drive down uh, the main stretch of the town into a hotel. And they get into the hotel. He gets the, uh, this is all going to be important in a second. But he gets all those executives into the elevator. They come up the elevator. And they go into a rented boardroom of the hotel. In the boardroom is nothing spectacular. Just a long conference room table. And he has an easel set up. And now is the first time that those marketing executives are told why they're there. And he says, here's the deal, guys. I am going to open a zoo, and I need you to come up with a logo and a slogan for my zoo. There are no rules. You can talk amongst yourselves, do whatever you want to, but you come up with the logo, and I want you to put it up on this easel. I will do nothing to give you guidance. The only rule is I've got one sealed envelope in the middle of the table, and I want nobody to touch it or look in it. He leaves the room, and 15, 20 minutes later, comes back. They finish the logo, come up with a very specific image and a slogan written underneath it. And he says, of course, okay, very good, thank you. Now I want somebody to go pick up the envelope. They open the envelope. Wouldn't you know that in that envelope is the identical logo that those men produced on their own? Then he kind of turns to you the viewer of the YouTube video, and he says, now you would think that that was some sort of magic or sleight of hand. How did I put into these guys' heads that image? They thought they came up with it on their own, and yet I pre-planned it, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. But he says, it wasn't magic. It wasn't sleight of hand. Let me show you what I did. And he replays that video starting from the top. This time, we watched the same clip with him narrating it and pointing out what's in the background. 
When he picked up those marketing executives and he got them into the limousine, inside the limousine he had hid the logo. As they were driving down the main street and looked out the window, people were wearing that logo on their shirt walking down the sidewalk. As they continued, some kids had balloons with the logo on it. One of the kids even let a balloon go. As they got into the elevator, they were standing, staring at the slogan he wanted them to produce. So now it comes time for them to make their own choice and their mind brought them back to what they had seen over and over and over again. Let me tell you how we win in the church world. We stay in front of the city so much that they have seen us over and over and over again. If they have a Facebook, we need to be on their Facebook. We need to be in their mailboxes. We need to be door hangers on their door. We need to be cards that they got when they went out to eat. We stay in front of them over and over and over because... At some point, everybody in this city will be drawn to try a church. And when they get on Google, every church looks the same. They haven't been to one. They don't know the difference between Presbyterian, Pentecostal, come on, and Baptist. They, they all look the same. But for some reason, they'll be drawn to the one that they have seen time and time and time again. So the church needs to be busy about planting if we're busy about planting they will choose us there's not a one of us in here probably that has not heard of coca-cola yet coca-cola is paying millions of dollars every year to advertise more and more and more why because it works 15 seconds being in front of the eyes of the people will guide them and push them towards deciding for you I'm telling you you have no idea the value of a 15 second invitation in an elevator at a gas station at a grocery store at the place that you eat you have no idea the value of a 15 second Facebook video of putting door hangers on somebody's door it takes you 15 seconds it can make the eternal difference for somebody we have to plant somebody say plant we have to plant so man I can give you all kinds of stories and there's a, a million different ways to do this Relatively recently here, my wife went to, we were out uh, door knocking. Somebody say door knocking. Door knocking, door knocking, door knocking. Man, that evokes emotions when you hear it. Door knocking, my goodness, let's just get over that. Door knocking is one of the least statistically effective ways to reach people. But the least statistically likely way to reach people is doing nothing. So door knocking is always one step better than doing nothing. We were in a city and we didn't have a lot of time to design a more elaborate and better outreach plan, so we went door knocking. Now, I have calculated the success rate of door knocking across the nation, and in some pockets it's a little more effective, in some pockets it's a little less. But on average, our door knocking success rate with cold contacts is 1 in 1,000 per pieces of distributed literature. If you go door knocking and do less than 1,000 flyers, my guess is you will have 
zero people sitting in your pews from door knocking. If you'll take a group out and do 10,000 door hangers in a day, I believe with everything in me, you will either have 10 people or 10 families that come in through the door knocking. So when we do door knocking, we do large volume door knocking. Well, we went out and did door knocking and my wife, uh, and I wasn't even there for this. She was at a different apartment complex than me, but she went Goes to a door, and the door is just all kinds of, man, witchcraft. Before you even get to the door, like the, the entry mat is this pagan occult symbol thing. There are literal chicken bones hanging from the door. What are you going to do? Man, everybody needs Jesus. I don't get to pick because you are a little scary to me. If you get to hear him or you don't, my job is to offer, and then your job is to choose. So she went, knocked on the door, invited the witch to come to church, literal witch, practicing witch to come to church. I'm telling you, in that very first service of the revival, the witch came in, was delivered of, an, of the devil in the first song, that witch then out-worshipped us for the rest of the worship set. Then God filled them with the Holy Ghost. Then she walked over and got baptized in Jesus' name. The only way that we don't win is we don't plant. But if we go out and plant, there will always be a measure of harvest that comes from it. So door knocking's one way. Another, man, you could skip the door and just talk to the people. You can, you can do that. It's okay to just talk to the people. Man, I went out one night, and uh, I'm driving around our church van at, at oh, dark o'clock. Like, I mean, 11 or 12 at night. And, and our, this church van was not the standard church van. It has definitely transported bodies at some point. I mean, the creepiest thing you've ever seen in your life. And I come, and I'm driving through what really is the hood. And I come around the corner, and I see this real gangster-looking guy. He's got a long jersey on, but not long enough that I couldn't see his boxers hanging out from the shorts that are around his knees. And I decide, man, that is my guy tonight. And so I like being provocative in those days. So I whip the van over real quick, roll the window window down and yell hey man and and he turns around like he's gonna shoot me holding his hips and I said I'm from the church and he's like okay man you shouldn't do that and I'm like well bro I want to invite you I get into a conversation with him and that night I met Joel I got talking to him in the conversation Joel had never been baptized in Jesus name Joel had never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and so I said Joel what would stop you from getting in this van right now with me I'll drive you straight back to the church. We will baptize you in Jesus' name right now. It's like a Tuesday night at midnight. We will baptize you right now. And I believe God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. I took Joel with me, threw him in the van, drove him back to the church. We baptized him in Jesus' name. But then Joel, he come on, he came off the street. So he had no problem going with me back to the street and pulling some more off the street. In the next 30 days, me and Joel went back to his neighborhood and found another 36 people that we pulled off the street and baptized them in Jesus name the same way that we met Joel we got a plant man he didn't look like I did is that an excuse not to talk to him I tell me and Joel had a way different childhood man he's got face tattoos I don't have a tattoo Joel speaks like three languages I barely speak one you know, Joel had owns, by the time he was 12, owned several handguns. I still get nervous around my own handguns. And they're just sitting there in a box. <laughs> 
Joel and I had a different background. Joel was so serious about God. His dad was actually a cartel leader. And his dad had his cousins and his brothers pick him up. When they found out that Joel had come to church and became a Christian and wanted to give it up, they picked him up from the church one day, threw him in the back of their car, drove him to a park, put a revolver to the back of his head, and said, tell us that you will never go back there or we will kill you right here and now. And he said, I will never say those words. I'm a Christian now and they pulled the trigger on that revolver multiple times and not one of those bullets went off I'm telling you if you want revival if you want miracles if you want to reach people you have got to plant Joel was critical to that revival in fact the, the converse we started having out of him were how we launched an entire Spanish church that ended up outgrowing the English church. You have no idea what God will do if you'll reach to people. Now, they don't have to be gangsters. We've reached the other side of the fence, too. I baptized nurse practitioners. I prayed my patients through the Holy Ghost. We baptized a, a professional Seahawk in Seattle with a Super Bowl ring. He's got the Holy Ghost still going to church there today. You you can reach anybody and everybody that you are willing to share the gospel with. So, what does not work with planting? This, this will be the most theologically challenging statement of the morning. Praying alone does not work because that's not God's method. Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, then God gave the increase. Again, let me be hyper-logical with you. There are things that you need to pray for, and if you don't pray, you ain't going to make the cut. I'll tell you right now. You must be given to prayer. But we don't pray the lost into existence. They are there. He said, lift up your eyes and realize it's white and already there are things we pray for, but we don't need to pray them into existence. We don't need to pray hunger into existence. It's already there. We don't need to pray that more would come to the realization of their need in God. It's already there. There are some that God has already given visions to and dreams to. Brokenness has come into their life. They know that they're in sin. They want the way out. The church's job is to plant. It wouldn't be logical. If we were in the agricultural sector, for us to sit in large, beautiful, elaborate barns with the most beautiful lights, man, to preach about harvest, to sing about harvest, but never leave the barn and put seed into the field. No matter how great it is in the barn, no matter how powerful the songs in the preaching, no matter how long we pray in the barn, if we never put seed out, there is going to be a limit on the harvest we can have. But I want to tell you the same is true today. If you'll get out of the barn and you'll put seed into the field, there is no limit to the harvest that God can help you see. You can reach the highest of high and the lowest of low. So, all right, let's go through four elements of a healthy church's planting culture. The first is that a healthy Planting church will be engaged in strategic marketing. In strategic marketing. Now, I'm going to do this in real time. I'm actually right now in a revival in another city. And I took, you know, 
24 hours off to be here with you today, but I'm going to switch in my Facebook into what we're promoting for that church. So in that, what I'll do when I come to church on a Wednesday night, I always now just operate on the assumption churches might not be proactive with their, with their strategic marketing. So I'll come in with nothing but my phone, and, my, and I'm not an impressive videographer. Man, I'm not, I don't consider myself a real hip, tip, tip, uh, TikTok millennial. I don't know what I'm doing. But I t- come in with my phone. I'll hit record. When I walk into the building, I'll get a shot of the building. I'll get a shot of the front door. I'll get a shot of the Sunday school classes. As they coming into worship and the pastor's kicking it off, they don't need to see me as much as they do him. So I sneak a shot at that dude preaching and of the worship team doing their deal. And, and just with that, at the end of my Wednesday night message, I'll usually have the whole church come up. And I'll say, guys, we're about to invite about 10,000 people to church. All you need to do is smile. Then I'll flip this thing. And this is an Android. I, like I'm telling I don't even know what I'm doing. I'll flip this on selfie mode. And I'll say, hey, everybody. I'm so excited to invite the city of Fayetteville out to church this Sunday. We're going to have a special service. And we want you to be there. Isn't that right, everybody? And everybody starts clapping. And I show them all the smiling faces of the people they're about to meet. I go home that night. I put it in a little... Facebook clip that I edit on my phone, upload it to Facebook, and I kid you not, I will invite that way anywhere between five and 10,000 people to church. Now, I did that on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, and I'm, I'm looking in real time on my account. Since, since that time, this week, for that church, not even my home church, for that church that runs uh, I think they run, I think I heard on Sunday they run 60. I have got 27 people that have messaged me expressing interest in coming. Four of them are signed up for rides to come to church. And two of them are families of five from one Facebook invitation. So if I was to go on your church's Facebook, I haven't done this, so I have no idea what I would see. Is all that I'm seeing, the live stream, the live stream, the live stream, the live stream. Is all that I'm seeing, a cute little picture that says, ladies tea, Bible quizzing event, stuff for your church. Or is there any time that you use the Facebook as a planting venue and say, you know what? There are two billion people out there on Facebook and we're going to reach some. If I get on your Instagram, come on, what do I see? If you have a TikTok, I don't even have that, but what do I see? We have got to use every available mean to reach somebody. Churches will... Well, say, man, we'd love for you to come in and, and, and preach and do that whole deal. And, man, whatever you're doing, come do it here. We want to win some people. I'll say, that's great. Man, how much money are you willing to spend? And they're like, man, that's a weird question. This guy wants to know what he's going to make. I said, no, no, not for me. How much are you willing to spend on your city? Because I tell you what, if you're willing to write some checks and do some strategic stuff, you'll order some door hangers, some postcards. You'll get on social media. We can turn your city upside down. We got to be strategic. One guy, man, he called me. And, 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 and this, this was an uncomfortable phone call, but I've, I've never met him. So he gets on. He wanted to do it on Zoom. 
So he gets on Zoom and he says, man, uh, we heard that you do some outreach-based stuff. And, and he said, tell me a little about yourself. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm pitching me. And so I did for a few minutes. I tried to tell him what we like to do. And I said, man, I'm nothing special. I don't preach real good messages. And if you need a word for your church, I'm probably not the guy. I mean, I can send you to some guys. But I, I do like preaching to the lost. And I probably have a word for them. And, man, I connect real good with lost people because I was one. And, uh, man, we'll go to every door we possibly can. And, on. and finally, he feels satisfied in the call. And he stops me and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to come. And when you come, I expect that we will beat every attendance record we have ever had in this church. I will be disappointed if you don't beat our Easter records, our Christmas records, all of it. I want more in that service than we have ever had before, and I won't accept anything less. And I said, well, man, that's a lot of pressure. But if you're crazy enough to believe that God can break your records, I am too. But I will need more work. I'll need more money than you've put into any other revival you've done. We started planning that four months in advance. Mailers went out on predetermined dates. Social media videos that I wrote them a script for, they filmed and put out on predetermined dates. Teams went out to doors knocking. Teams went out to parks. Block parties, giveaways happened across the city. And while I got there, we just kept running it with them through that last week. And I think what was very telling was what one of the last people told us when we were at the park. We went to the park in that city of over a million people. And this isn't the Bible Belt. This is up in the New York, Rhode Island, D.C. area, the Northeast Um one guy said at the park when we approached him, we, one of the youth gave him a flyer, and he said, I, I know about this event. He said, I got one of these mailed to my house. I got one of these left on my door. I saw it on Facebook, but because you came and gave it to me at this park, I know that God wants me there, and I can't say no four times. I will be there. He was there. He did get baptized. God did fill him with the Holy Ghost, but that Sunday, they had had to bring out every single chair that they had and every one that they had in storage. They not only beat their all-time attendance record, they beat their all-time single-service baptismal record. Now hear me, it had nothing to do with me. I'm not Joel Osteen. If you say Braden Anderson's coming and you put my name on the flyer, it won't bring one more soul. They could have had a monkey preach and it wouldn't have made a difference. The difference is the church strategically marketed the city and went out in every form and fashion they could. So we have got to be engaged in strategic marketing. If I Google church in your city name, do you come up? We need to be on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Google, all of it. We have got to be there. We've got to be in mailboxes and on and on and on. The next element of our culture that needs to exist is something called lifestyle evangelism. Somebody say lifestyle evangelism. If we can't catch and disseminate lifestyle evangelism, we're going to be in a problematic uh, we're going to be positioning ourselves in a problematic way because as the people come, it's not ingrained in our hearts and our culture to care for them. And lifestyle evangelism is the best way to get it in our spirit, to make us all evangelists. Lifestyle evangelism, if I boiled it down, is this simple. You take two church cards, you stick them in your wallet, 
And before you come back to church next Sunday, you gave them to somebody. And next Sunday, you grab two more. And the next Sunday, you grab two more. You take those cards wherever you go. If you go out to McDonald's, you invite the lady that's taking your credit card. If you go out to Applebee's, you invite the waitress at Applebee's. Lifestyle evangelism, you take Jesus wherever you go. You put those cards in your purse, you put them in your wallet, and all through the week. Listen, if we had even the number that are in our church, you had a church of 40 people. 40 people that were inviting two people per week. Come on, there's 52 weeks a year. That's 104 per person invites, 104 times 40. That's 4,000 and some personal invitations that would go out. You would be able to stop at any McDonald's in your city and know somebody's already invited them. You'd be able to go to any restaurant in your city and know somebody's already invited them. You'd be able to go to any grocery store in your city. Somebody will have already invited them. Lifestyle evangelism has got to be in us. And the wonderful thing about it is it's free. You know, a church card costs like two cents. It is basically free. Now, if a church has a, they have some marketing, they have lifestyle evangelism component, they are probably ready for the real stuff. And that is where we start putting things on the schedule. I said this quickly last night, but I really mean it. If churches want to know what's going to happen on Sunday... I'll say pay attention to the proportion of your church that will get involved in scheduled evangelism. It is a pulse check on where your church is at and if they're ready to see God do the miraculous. You want a church that is a revival church. It has to have revivalistic components. And if you will put on the schedule times that you go out as a church. You know, some churches do it three times a week. Some do it once a month. But there's got to be times we come together as a collective and we go out to take our city. I'm thankful for the lifestyle evangelism component. But friend, I am not going to let two invitations a week be all that I do. There are too many lost in the city. And that's why I like putting on the calendar times that we do go out in force and do 5,000, 7,000, 10,000 door hangers in a single weekend. I love doing that, and I have seen results. You can do that strategically. If you have Easter coming up, there ought to be a massive outreach event and endeavor leading up to Easter. If you do an all-nation Sunday, there should be a big strategic outreach event leading up to all-nation Sunday. We do it for the Christmas service. We do it for the Thanksgiving service. We need to be engaged in that. One church... Uh, that we worked with, they, the uh, outreach director messaged me and he said, man, we're coming up to Thanksgiving. It is so cold outside. What do we do? And I said, bro, you do whatever you want, but here's what we're doing in our home church. I said, man, we're getting together some of the most like pathetic sized chick- uh, turkeys you've ever seen. They're like Cornish game hens and uh, we're going to go get them out. And uh, we're going we're gonna to give them out in strategic neighborhoods, low income, on and on and on. And we're going to have the church people come and donate some fixings, some just cheap dollar store boxes of stuffing and whatever. We're going to make little baskets and we're going to go to low income areas and say, we just want to bless you. you. You know, you need to be there for our Thanksgiving service, but we want to make sure you and your family had something to eat for Thanksgiving. And, and so he said, no, that sounds fun. Let's do the same thing. He does the same thing. 
His church puts baskets together. He said they went, they had some addresses of low-income people that the church had wanted to get some baskets. So they're going out doing that. And he said, but I ended up with one extra basket. I'm literally carrying this basket around trying to find somebody to give it to. And I turn over and this car uh, is stopped at a red light with the window down. I said, man, could you use this? Get into a discussion. Turns out that guy in that car was terminal with cancer. He had three months left. He handed that basket through the window. The guy was there for the Thanksgiving service. Got baptized in Jesus' name. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. It changed that man's eternity because he had a scheduled outreach on the calendar. I love it. That's the stuff we've got to do. We do, when we get together and do scheduled outreach, we will tend groups to go do door hangers and we usually do apartments. The reason is you can move very quickly at apartments. Knock, knock, and if you don't answer in five seconds, I stick it on your door and move on to the next one. Sometimes when I am really in a rush, I've, I've, I've knocked as many as four doors at once. Like I'll stand there and be like, ta-ta, ta-ta. And then they'll kind of open them, and I'll be like, hey, everybody, so I'm from the church. And, man, so we'll go out, and we'll do door hangers. I'll sometimes send another group into homes, but strategic homes, the, guy, the folks that live by the church. Then I'll send a group out to parking lots. Man, I'll say, man, why don't we get a group, go down to Walmart, and go stick one under every single windshield. Then I'll send a group down to the fair or to the flea market. Man, one time I was driving home, I forgot about the 4th of July. Like, I lived in Canada so long, it's the 1st of July. But, man, it's the 4th of July. I'm like, why is all these explosions happening? They're like, oh, yeah, man, Independence Day. I drove by a city having their Independence Day deal, and I happened to have a bunch of flyers. So I pulled over, and, man, that one evening, we invited more than 2,000 people to church, just me and my kid, because they were so many down out at the city's fireworks display. I want to be where the people are. If it's a parking lot, a fair, fireworks, sports events, colleges, we have got to get Get to them. The last element is event evangelism. This is the hardest to pull off if you have not mastered the other three. But there are times that we will have some event evangelism. I'm talking the high risk, high return, high expense stuff. Man, there are people that have had ideas to do tent revivals. And as crazy as it sounded, God doubled their church after a single tent revival. There's churches that have had ideas about renting stages, have outdoor concerts. And we had over a thousand first-time guests here in America. God can do some really great things. And when you get an inkling to do something crazy for Jesus, it is probably not the enemy. It is probably not you. What would happen if every time we got a really, really big and grand idea, we just went with it? We invested what we needed to. We got the people together, the teams together, and we tried it. At worst, we don't grow. But it's never going to cause us to lose some. Why not try it and see if God... God can't grow the church. Man, the day of Pentecost was a big event. Where it, I mean, it was a big street event. One preacher stood up, 3,000 get baptized. That's crazy. But why not try it now? We now have seen events here in America with over 4,000, 4,000 first-time guests. For a church, and the host church run 200 people. God can do great things. If his people will try for some greatness. Amen. 
Uh, all right, so let me, let me do this. Let everybody stand up. We'll take a little break. Just let you stretch your hands, legs, necks. Planting, planting, planting. Say planting. You guys want to be planters? Man, I want to be planting. Man, I want to be planting. Amen, amen. Turn to somebody next to you say, you, you look like a planter. Amen, amen. All right, all right. I'll let you, let you be seated there. Thank you for sticking with me. I, I hope you do know, too, I'm not just, uh, uh, this is not just lip service. This is who I am. This is what we do, man. In fact, there was even a particular church, and yeah, I've got one. Uh, there was even a particular church we went to, and he said, man, we want to have a revival service. And I said, man, I, I don't normally just do services. Um, man, I would love to do an outreach if you'd let me. And he's like, you know, outreach doesn't really work and all this stuff. He's like, you only get so many when you go door knocking. I said that same deal. I'm like, no, I totally get it, man. But some is better than none. And I had to go, when I went to that church, I had to go into his lobby and steal his cards and take my son out without that pastor knowing and just start knocking doors. Uh, but I'm like, man, that's what we do. That's what we do. I don't, I, I, I mean, I know no other way to have a good revival service than to stack the deck and bring in a whole bunch of lost people, man. I don't want to just preach Acts 238 to people that have already done it. I want to preach it to some people that haven't done it. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. I have planted Apollos, what's the word? But God gave the increase. So um, I do not exactly have a green thumb. I'm very not successful at plants that don't arrive to me with leaves. If it starts at the level of a seed, I almost always fail. And I've tried. I mean, not, not, it, maybe there's something I'm missing, but I do know enough. Though, again, I'm not good at it. I know enough that if the seed goes into the ground, you kind of got to take care of it. I'm not really sure where the line is between under and over watering. I must be on the wrong side of that equation. But you do need to water it. I'm sure that's true of almost every crop. Unless the soil's incredibly moist, I'm sure it's true of corn, of wheat, of soy, of cotton. All these things I see as I drive around America. Somebody is watering it. We should understand that when we put seed into the field, God is going to begin to sprout something. You're going to see people through the door. We're, and when those seeds begin to emerge, someone must care for them or they will not survive. And if we care for them in a diligent manner, we maximize the yield, we maximize those that will be retained those that will survive. Is that okay? All right. So there's different ways that I could look at this equation. Let me put it this way. If you do not get people through your door for the first time, you have a planting problem. If you do not have a lot of first-time guests, every service, you have a planting problem. You need to increase your marketing. You need to increase the door knocking. You need to increase your flyer distribution at Walmart. You need to be at the, have a booth at the fair. I don't care what you do, but you need to be planting more and more and more. But 
if you have guests through the door and the first time guest is not translating to a second time guest, you have a watering problem. There is something broken about how you are caring for the seeds that are sprouting. Now, it may never be 100%, but it should not be 1% that we're retaining people. I think we're capable of more. Watering is a multifactorial thing, and I think it's broken because of lots of reasons. We're busy. Our culture is impersonal. We have trouble connecting with folks that aren't like us and part of our cliques. Uh, we take... We, we, tr we come to church and we come wanting to receive and in tunnel vision mode about us and what we're going through. And man, we're, we're just waiting for the praise team to get us up off our seat and let us feel goosebumps before even we jump in. Watering can't operate like that. If we're going to be a watering church, we are nurturing from the very beginning through the very end of their Christianity. Every second, we are about them. I mean, literally, when I pull into the church parking lot, it changes where I park. I don't take the spots right close to the door because that's their spots, and I'm about watering. When I come in, I shake their hand before I shake the hands of my friends because I'm all about watering. And when I go up to them, I want to know where'd you come from? How many kids do you have? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? I don't care. I am about watering. During my week, it can't just be about me, can't just be about my work, can't just be, and man, my messages would be way better if they were, but it can't just be seven days of message preparation before delivering another message. Man, there's got to be watering. There's got to be watering. If you go to any agricultural field, look at their schedule. There is watering on the schedule. It may even be automated by timers. Wednesday at X o'clock, the sprinklers turn on. The church should be such, hey, we got a whole bunch of visitors on Sunday, and Tuesday is watering day. Tuesday's the day that I take the ones God sent me, and I'm going to pour into them. I'm going to make some phone calls. I'm going to teach some Bible studies. I'm going to take somebody to Starbucks I'm going to meet another at Taco Bell it's watering day uh, less people get excited about this as they do what takes place on Sunday but it is every bit as spiritual and every bit as important in fact I would trade somebody who could preach circles around me for somebody who could water circles around me I would rather take somebody that's teaching a home group with 10 people in that home group than I would somebody who could just preach the paint off the walls. Hey, I know any, if you wouldn't have had me at this event, there's a hundred other people that would have been here and done just as good a job. If I can make a meaningful difference for somebody in their living room, in their jail cell, on the street, in a neighborhood, in a grocery store, that may well be of more value than anything that I do under a spotlight. We need to teach our people that core to ministry is what takes place on the Monday to Saturday, not just Sunday. Watering, watering, watering. If we do not water, I want you to hear this clear. The vast majority will not 
be retained. You cannot count on the quality of your service to be so good, it will bring them back alone. And I want to prove it to you because we've studied this in our church. I, uh, I heard this guy, and he told me, this apostolic guy, he told me he could retain over 90% of people. And I said, bro, you a liar. You a liar. Man, if you had 90% retention, your church would be huge. Well, it was about two years into him starting a church from scratch. No help. Nobody moved there with him on and on from scratch. And within two years, he ran over 800 people. And I started thinking, maybe I, <laughs> I spoke too soon, and there may be something to this. And so I called him back. I said, okay, bro, I'm ready to listen. What are you doing to hold on to these people? And he was holding on to people I didn't think you could hold on to. But they were coming back week after week after week. And he said, okay, here is what I do during the week. He handed me over a psychotic schedule that he follows with every single person. You know, before he started ministering, he was a literal car salesman. And if somebody walked onto his lot, he was going to get you to buy a car eventually. It didn't matter if it took six years. He would never go away from your life until you bought a car. Well, now this guy's turned into a preacher, and he's doing the same thing. He does not go away until you go into the grave and make it to heaven. I look looked at that and I said, bro, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. If I was to actually do this, my version of ministry would basically disappear because I would be consumed with watering people all week long. And he said, exactly. Bro, we get it backwards. We think it's about the show and the preaching and the charade. It's not. It's getting where the people live. That is ministry. So I said, even I can't do all this. I'm going to take some stuff off, but I'll give it a shot. And I whittled his plan down, and I did what I thought was a feasible version. And then I realized, man, we've got so many visitors coming because we're doing the marketing, the door hanging. I can't do this by myself. So I made a plea to our church. And I said, guys, here's what we're going to do. I didn't tell him about the crazy guy. That I said, we got a plan. It's basically a checklist of things that I want you to do. To help me hold on to the lost. And I want this church to double within a year. And so, and then next year we're going to do it again. And so core to that is we're going to try a new retention program. And I need your help. I'm going to do my bit. Don't get me wrong. But I have found that there's a maximum to the number of people I can hold at once. My car has only so many empty seats in it. I can give rides and on and on. So I said what will happen is as I get a visitor or I baptize somebody in the middle of the week or whatever, I will walk up to you and hand you their contact information, and I want you to treat it like that's your baby. You're going to be the one responsible to follow the checklist, and all during the week you're going to be their new best friend. You're going to take them out to Starbucks. You're going to hang out with them. You're going to call them and offer them prayer. You're going to remind them when church is, and if they need a ride, you're the one that gives them a ride. People are like, wait a minute. I have to, like, do something? And I'm like... Yeah, let's see how this goes. And we told the whole church, all of you will do this. Even if you are 18 years old and in your, you know, last year high school, first year college, even you, I am at some point going to walk up and hand you contact slip. And so we launched that out at our church. And when we launched that out at our church, wouldn't you know, 
that not everybody wanted to listen to the little guy. Here's what happened. We had about 75% of our church that totally ran with it. They took the checklist and they owned it. Man, they called every person. They were having Starbucks dates and going to McDonald's and going to Taco Bell and all this sort of stuff. Well, there's another group, and, and anyone in leadership, you know this person. They say, yes, I will do it. And then they do not do it. They ghost you. You never hear another word about it. You, you thought it was done, and they must have went home and shred that thing and set the clippings on fire. They had no intention of even sending a single text message. God has blessed me to lead many people like that over my life. And so there's both groups, right? Well, for sake of the statistics, I'm kind of glad that it played out that way. Because we got to see what difference the program made. On the group... That did nothing, did nothing. We retained 16% of the people. And for sake of statistics in data collection, you have to sign an endpoint. So ours is six months later after they start coming, 16% of people are still bringing themselves back. We did nothing for them. They just loved our church, man, and they were hungry for Jesus, 16%. I call that number our natural retention rate. Man, I know Church of Omaha has got... Man, pastor can even lead worship himself. I mean, this place is rocking. And so, man, we may have such good church. Maybe the natural retention rate here is 25%. Maybe church is broken. Maybe your church, everybody is off key. Everyone. You guys start late and you, run, you, you preach three-hour messages. And pastor is always in the middle of an 84-part series on tithing. I don't know. I don't know how you do things. But, may, but then your natural retention rate might be 5%. But if you look at your books without you doing anything, you already have a natural retention rate. A certain number of people without you having a plan or a system are going to stick on their own. Ours was 16%. Well, what do you think happened over on the other group? To give you an idea of what's going on in the other group, man, when a brother comes and visits me, he gets the very next day, he gets a phone call. Man, I, I met you in the service. It was so good to have you, bro. I want to get to know you a little bit better. But guess what? Everybody that visits our church gets a gift. And the church pays for it. The church, everybody that visits our church gets a gift. What time do you want me to drop that off at your house? Tuesday night, I got 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. What time's better for you? Then I come and give him a gift. Now, while I come give him the gift, which is really like a $5 little pathetic gift, I'm trained that it's not about the gift. It's about Starbucks. So I say, man, it's so good. It was awesome to have you. This is for you. Man, little gift cards in there and a candle. It's just awesome having you. What time can I pick you up for Starbucks on Friday? I'm going to be in your your neighborhood and I'd love to pick you up and just hang out and get to hear your story on Friday you know I'm gonna be in your neighborhood because I'm gonna drive there so that's totally a Holy Ghost lie but what time am I gonna pick you up man and then I take him out to Starbucks on Friday hey by the time he got a gift from me and we went out to Starbucks and I heard all about his favorite color I'm telling you that dude is gonna be too guilty to not come to church I'm gonna do it again and again and again and again until he is coming on his own what do you think the odds changed to? 16% moved in this group to 72% retention measured six months out. That is a vastly different number. You know what? 
We didn't preach any different. Same messages. We didn't sing any different. The building was the same. The vans, the ministries we offered, the church cards, the wet. No other variable than watering. Here's the convicting truth then. If I don't water and use my week to engage with people, I cause a loss of an additional 56% that God brought into the building. And if I do love on people, I can keep an additional 56% of people. Now, that, and sometimes those relationships didn't look real spiritual. They literally were quick dashes to Taco Bell. They weren't even Bible studies. Sometimes they were. It's whatever the person needs, but we have got to be involved in watering. Now, that system we use was done at a personal level. Some do it at a corporate level. I would say of the fastest growing churches in the UPC that I go to, and if I named their pastors, you would know all of them. If I know their churches, you would probably know all of them. A lot of those churches are at such a scale with such a number of visitors that to, to, they have corporatized the watering process into interest groups and small groups. And every visitor that comes through the door is immediately ran to by some church employee with a name tag that says, man, we are so glad. You know that one that's really happy and bubbly like does cocaine every day, that one? You know, we are so glad to have you here just a real wired apostolic. Every person that visits the church, we want you in a group. Here are the 40 groups we have. Do you like knitting? We got a knitting group for you. You like guns? We got a gun group for you. You want to hang out with the men? We got a men's group, man. We got a squirrel killing group. They get them in a group. And the groups meet every Friday and Saturday. And people connect, and they share stories, and they fellowship, and people feel too guilty to not be there Sunday. I don't care how you do it. You have got to water. You could do it in groups. You could do it individually. You could do it in Bible studies. Come on, you could do it at Taco Bell. You have got to water, or God will not do the extent of what he's capable of doing in the church. We have got to breed a culture. Where our people are trained that I am not a complete Christian unless I'm evangelizing. I should always have a sickle in hand. I know I have needs and I approach God and I've got to cling to the cross. But my other hand has a sickle and I'm bringing somebody with me. I want to always have a proactive reach to finding the next one. And I want to always have someone under my wing that I'm mentoring along with me. Come on somebody we plant and we water and then... God brings the increase. Amen. I'll let you stand up again. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Somebody say two-thirds. Man, we two-thirds the way there. <laughs> amen, amen. So I literally just, I just uh, have this patch of bare grass in my yard. Um, we, there, <laughs> I am so bad at construction-y outdoor things. So we need, we're doing some construction, and it, there's a series of negative events that happen. Man, I, we use the skid steer to try and put some um, soil in one spot and another. I accidentally excavated the power lines out of my own yard, and the Internet and the phone and all of it go 
fix some of those issues. Some of them wires are still sticking up. I don't know what that's all about. Fix some of it. And then, man, the skid steer got stuck, had to get pulled out by another thing because it was too muddy. And so now the grass is destroyed. Well, I'm like, oh, I'll throw some grass seed out there. So I went the other day, threw out all this grass seed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the watering bit. And I'm like, man, totally forgot that. Don't even know if I own a sprinkler. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, but it's going to rain. And I just looked uh, on my camera in the backyard, and all the seeds are gone. Like, it rained so vigorously that they all, they were like the blue-coated seeds. They all went downhill, and they're just sitting in a pile now. And they have just all migrated. Man, it's okay to, to, to try planting and mess it up. It's okay to try watering and mess it up. You know, the beautiful thing about it is the church is not short on seed. And uh, Home Depot is not short on seed. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get another bag. I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to try it again. And the wonderful thing is no matter how many times you have messed this stuff up, we can do it again. We can do it again. We can try another video. We can try another mailer. We can go to some more doors. We can try watering. We can try mentoring people. And we will get it right. Just try it again, try it again, try it again. All right, you may be seated. So, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. I have planted. Everybody say planted. Palos watered. Say watered. But God gave the increase. Now, this is interesting. Again, there's an order here. We do our part, then God does his. I want you to understand that because you should not, under, you, you should not comprehend revival as breaking out in any other format than that. God does not front load this thing. He doesn't go knock all your doors. He doesn't, that's not the design. He doesn't do all the planning himself. He doesn't do all the watering himself. Will he reach a few divinely? Absolutely. Man, God will open the heavens and thunder down to a Cornelius that is earnest and sincere. He'll do that. But the primary mode in the book of Acts is they took the gospel everywhere to homes, to streets, breaking bread. Man, they were preaching in rooms for so long people were falling out of the windows and dying. They went everywhere preaching. So should the church today. The primary method we go first, then God goes. But I want to speak to this last bit. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. That last bit is very, very critical. Remember I said there's a few points you could look to see where you're broken. One would be if I don't have visitors, I have a planting problem. I need to market more. I need to evangelize more. I need to add more things on the calendar that are external facing. Well, if I have visitors and then they're coming back as second-time visitors, that's a good sign. If they weren't, I would have a watering problem. Well, there is this third bit of increase. And this is how I would define that. What amount of traffic does that baptismal tank get? If you have, there are churches that have great numbers of visitors. They even retain great numbers. But they're not taking a visitor and making them into a convert. Hey, at the end of the day, our job is not entertainment. It's not numbers sitting in the pew. It is numbers sitting in heaven. And so at some point, the visitor has to translate to a member. And the member's got to be translated to the kingdom. We've got to see them repent and be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. Core to that is 
creating an atmosphere where God can bring an increase. That is an intentional, intentional effort. We will be possessors of an atmosphere God can bring an increase. Man, how many in this room do like Starbucks? How many in this room have been to a Starbucks? And more hands. So there's some Starbucks haters in the room. That's okay. Come from Seattle and... Uh, I actually never really acquired a taste for any coffee. So, it's, I mean, we'd go into Starbucks here and there, but it wasn't huge to me. Yeah. <laughs> but when you go into a Starbucks, tell me this, tell me this. What does it smell like? And can you almost picture the color? Is it really, really well lit? You walk in and you're squinting your eyes because they're just Starbucks loves light bulbs. No, it's not, that's not how they do things. There's an ambiance. There's, you know, there's only certain colors that they'll paint the walls in a Starbucks. And you might not have specifically paid attention to it, but is rap, mu rap music playing? No. I mean, classical jazz, classical music, no. It's this other little set of subset of kind of coffee shop music playing in the background, you know, there's a period of time Starbucks was the number one CD retailer. It was always the same type of music. And when you get your drink, whatever your drink is, can you remember what it tastes like? And, and you, man, my, when my wife orders at Starbucks, it's like four paragraphs of modifiers. And then they'll hand her her drink, and that's exactly how she likes it. And it's going to taste the same. You know what's interesting about Starbucks, though, is that whole experience I just described, the things you see and you smell, the taste, all of it, even though the design will change slightly, it is going to be roughly the same whether you're on Venice Beach in Los Angeles, California, or you're in Texas, or you're in Florida, or you're in Rhode Island, or you're in Seattle. Why? Starbucks is creating a uniform atmosphere. If you don't like it, you're not going to like any of them. If you like it, you're going to love them all. And you know that anywhere on the map you go, you could be in Beijing, there's going to be a Starbucks, and that is exactly what you know and you like and you love. Your drink is there. The sounds are there. The sights are there. Let me tell you what God's church is called to be. We are called to be synonymous with where the miraculous occurs. We do have an atmosphere in apostolic churches and it should be such that if I go to your church on a Sunday I can get the same measure of God as the Pentecostals of Alexandria it should be such that what I feel in Stockton is what I feel in Omaha Nebraska it should be such that whether if it's Easter or just any other Sunday on the calendar God is here God is delivering God can heal God can touch come on somebody an atmosphere what was so life-changing for me now this is my just my story I was not raised in this I was desperately hungry to find the God of Scripture that could change me the God that still healed the God that still moved 
I went to every single church in my city. Every Catholic church, Baptist church, Presbyterian church, full gospel church, evangelical church, Christian reform. I went to all of them. I studied the differences. And the last one I walked into was an apostolic church. I had been in crowds of 30,000 people at Christian concerts. Chris Tomlin playing his same Boring week, radio, music, all that. I've been, I've been in all those settings. I've been with the Baptists and the biggest stages in the in the in the city with the lights and all of it. And I am telling you that when I walked into that apostolic church and I walked past their prayer room, what I heard and felt coming out of that room let every hair on my body on end goosebumps all over me I'm telling you before the service even began I felt more of God in that tiny church than I felt in a crowd of 30,000 people because I was in an atmosphere where God could bring an increase we have got to have a culture a temperature an atmosphere a palpable glory glory of God in our midst that is such God can bring an increase when they walk in here they ought to feel what we preach about the God that heals and touches and moves and delivers it should be consistent we don't have off services we don't have down Sundays We don't have any, I know it's Mother's Day, but it is critical for every mother that walks into the room that they experience Jesus. We have to have that atmosphere. God can bring the increase. That will go into so many things individually. Uh, Every now and then a a pastor will make a bad choice of letting me like do be part of their pre-service huddle. And uh, when they do, they'll say, like, man, what do you want to tell the team before the service? What am I supposed to tell a bunch of musicians? I don't know how to play. I don't know what a C flat minor to the ninth is. I don't know any of your music stuff. This is all I say. I have one goal, and it is tears over talent. I know that you're not forced to choose. I'm glad that you practice. I'm glad we have a plan. Do all that great stuff. But if push comes to shove at some junction of the service and you have to break the system and break how you're standing there and break how you've done up your hair, it is tears over talent. At the end of the day, what moves people isn't that we hit the right note. It's that we are moved ourselves. At the end of the day, what will get them to worship isn't the tune. It is that we worship ourselves. Come on, somebody, I'm talking about an atmosphere. God can bring an increase. Man, and when we pray with people, there's, I teach, teach altar working sessions and that too. When we pray with people, you know what the right thing to do is? It's not, there is no script. Every person's an individual. Things can be different. Barriers can be different. Man, I'll look at people and read them, and it may change how we have the discussion. The right way to pray with somebody is to believe with every fiber of your being. Jesus will touch them, and he'll touch them now. This is the environment that you are delivered, and you're going to be delivered now. This is the environment you can be healed, and you can be healed right now. God can, wants to and will fill you with the Holy Ghost now. I'm talking about an atmosphere God can bring an increase. You know, the visitor, just to walk you through 
their lens. Man, they pull up to a place they've never been to. Man, in every church, every church is a hodgepodge of add-ons over time. And so they, they, they'll have all, they, they, we're standing in the parking lot. There's four doors you can choose from. And, and this church is pretty good. It would, be, it would be pretty obvious which one you're supposed to walk in. But at most of your churches, it might not be. And so even from the parking lot, they were uncomfortable. They didn't know what door to walk into. Then they go and approach that door, and they don't know anybody in the room. They, and, and, and then during the service, we're supposed to take them from knowing no one to all the way through to being willing to, let's be honest, get naked, put on a robe, and take a bath in front of people they have never met in their life. Man, we have got to take them miles in a short time. Wow. The only chance is that God is in that room because when God is in that room and I snuck in a little bit late and I was uncomfortable I'm trying to decide how I'm going to respond and so I sit down and there, this joker up here is telling me I'm supposed to clap and everybody's supposed to lift their hands you know what I'm going to do I'm going to look around the room and try and find is there anybody in here that's not lifting their hands that's not clapping because if I can find five of you that aren't worshipping then I, I don't have to but I, I, I don't know what to do here so if I look around and every last one of you is worshiping your hands are all up you're all clapping and jumping and tears are flying no nothing else than to jump in and I know you've all been baptized but when this joker says baptism will change your life you erupt in applause you've already done it but you're excited about it man that starts getting on me could God change my life? Could he really forgive my sins? Could he really do something for me? And all of a sudden it becomes tangible and exciting. And maybe I will. Maybe I will. And then another does. And I see and they go over. And man, that didn't look too bad. And then a younger one does. Maybe a 14-year-old. Man, if a 14-year-old would do, could do it, a 42-year-old can do it. Yes, I will. An environment God can bring the increase. An environment God could bring the increase. I, uh, I have a lot of things I could say, but again, I'll just summarize. First Corinthians 3 and 6, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Plant, water, increase. I believe it will always, always work. Um, I did want to take some questions, if there were any, that came up as we went. Um, so, whether it regards planting or watering or that atmosphere that we're generating in the service and momentum... Uh, let me hear some questions around the room. What have I stirred up? And uh, while we do that, if you guys want to throw up, you could just cycle through them. On the, I don't even need to really speak to them. I did want to put up on the screen just some different flyers. These are things I've seen around the country. And just because people always wonder, like, man, what should our flyers look like? And I, I take pictures of the ones I see as I go. Really simple invitations, and so I don't know if they can maybe even make those available to you if you want a copy, but you guys can cycle through them and show them however you want to. Um, and by the way, if we if you have a question, we'll pass the mic around because this is being recorded, so that way when people listen to it later, they can hear the question. But Brother Anderson, you uh, made mention of the larger churches that have maybe staff and all of this, but can you speak to a situation where there might be a smaller church that... Uh, maybe even the pastor's not receiving a salary, but can do something uh, like what you were describing with the watering aspect of groups and, and connecting with people. 
Uh, if you can maybe speak to that. Yeah, I, when you ask the question, there's certainly at least one church that comes to mind. Uh, bivocational pastor we work with in the greater Los Angeles area. And they ran, um, I would estimate if everyone showed up, they had 20 in the church. Um, and, uh, but of course, as you know, not everybody shows up all the time. So definitely a smaller church, but they still found this really unique balance of being very proactive in lots of these domains. So that pastor in particular, he's got a job, so he works and he's busy. But he, he said the easiest thing for him to do and work into the schedule was to start by opening his home at least one night a week for a community meal is what he'd kind of call it. And he would invite his neighborhood out and all the new people that had been coming to the church. And, and he's Filipino, so they would cook Filipino food and all that stuff. Very easy, like a home group. There was a light, light Bible study, but it was really just connecting with people. He didn't have a ton of extra time, so that was just something they put onto the calendar. Then each week he chose to, to on Saturday, take a group out on outreach, and his outreach is varied. Sometimes they'd go to the mall. Sometimes they'd go to a campus. We, we went to Walmart with them, and so that, the outreach is definitely could vary. Um, we, that week that he had a Bible study at his home, I said, man, well, let us just go knock on the doors on Saturday, some of your neighbors, see if we get them to come out. We got a couple, to, literally one of his next door neighbors to come out to his house for Filipino food. We just said, hey, we're from Pastor so-and-so's house. We're just having food tonight if you guys want to come hang out. So we had the, the neighbors there had never been to church before. We've got five recent first-time guests from the church-ish people that are there, and they're having Filipino food. We're just hanging out. Nothing complicated, nothing super spiritual, just hanging out. Teach a quick Bible study, and then one of them first-time visitors asked this question. And it was a really revealing question about where their heart was at. And we started talking to them, and I'm kidding you, she got Lupia on her lap on a paper plate, and this lady starts crying. And we lay hands on her, God fills her with the Holy Ghost. One of her neighbors, to a bivocational pastor, you know, doesn't have time to be out there 40 hours a week on the field. He just opened his home, have a little group and a meal, and uh, we just got one of his neighbors in the building. Come Sunday, she brought her spouse, his first time in church. They were both baptized in Jesus' name. That's how it starts, just like that. We went to, with that church at Walmart. And he said, man, we've been coming to Walmart for a bit. It's not, and we've got, in this case, permission to be there, and it's not going well. What's the problem here? And, uh, and I said, man, let me watch, and I'll tell you. And, uh, and I said, oh, oh, man, really, let me just fine-tune this slightly. I said, man, your booth said needs prayer. Man, ain't nobody going to approach you for prayer. They're all lost. They don't care about prayer. Uh, do it different. I said, change that booth to say free water. Like, it's California. It's hot outside. Free water. And then when you hand them a water bottle, hand them a water bottle, say, hey, man, we're going to pray for you too. What's one thing you want God to do in your life? I said, same outcome. You're going to get to pray for every single one of them, but people are going to be running to you instead of you running them off. And so we switched, made that one change. I kid you not, that day at Walmart, somebody hit the ground like TBN level, hit the ground, slain in the doorway of Walmart. I still have no idea what played out there and what happened. People then are stepping over her body to get into Walmart. So, But another one got drawn to what the commotion, comes up, asks for prayer, gets the Holy Ghost. We got one down and one talking in tongues in the front door of Walmart. Oh, 
It doesn't have to be big or elaborate, but start somewhere with something for real, and God will honor it. I think I saw something back there. Are any other questions in the room? Um, I had heard you talk a little bit about uh, the follow-up system that you have in place. So what is the ideal structure? Samay comes in, first-time visitor on Sunday. What does your follow-up plan look like, uh, like points of contact and um, yeah, ideal what that would look like? Uh, good question. So the question is, like, what did our follow-up system look like? Um, I, I only hesitate because if I fully answer that, some will think it's not tangible for them. So I'm still going to answer the question, but before you even have that thought, if it's not tangible for you, don't do it my way, but that doesn't get you out of doing something. So it doesn't have to look like mine. I took, remember, I took somebody else's and I didn't do his because some of his stuff was too invasive. So it doesn't have to look like ours. But what we will do at this point is um, if, so you come, first time guests, entered into our software. As soon as you're entered into our software, um, it will generate you a letter from the pastor, which on our letterhead, all that stuff gets signed. It will go into the mail on Monday. That means it'll hit your home on Wednesday. So that is, inter- like, that is our, one of our drivers, a very small driver. Second, you're put into another pool that should get you an automated text. You don't know it's automated, but an automated text message from the pastor thanking you for visiting. So there's a second con- point of contact right there. But the most important driver is that that contact information gets assigned to someone. The church secretary literally hands you a gift bag. The gift bag is a branded bag that has the name of the church. Got some branded merch inside, pens and mugs and whatever, and a little $5 gift card. The total value of that whole gift I'd estimate to be $10. And and some people, you think $10 is not reasonable? Totally fine. I'll push back slightly to say in business, the cost of customer acquisition is always a lot higher than the cost of a return customer. What I mean is it may take you $50 of marketing spend to go win another one versus $10 to hang on to the one you've got. So it might be a worthy investment. Just think about that. But anyways, we, we get a gift bag. And if, that, if the card is assigned to this brother, we'll say, hey, this guy came Sunday. We want you to follow up. Here is the gift bag that you're going to go give the visitor. He'll, he'll text or call or whatever he needs to do to say, hey, man, I'm from the church. Our church gives everybody a gift. What, to, what window of time should I bring this by? He brings that gift there, hands it to them on behalf of the church, does not have to be a minister, does not have to know anything special, literally just hands him a gift and says, man, I would love to get to connect with you more. Is there some time on Friday that I can get together with you? Man, we can go out to Domino's or something. I just want to hear your story. His whole job with that in-person drop-off is to land an in-person interaction before Sunday. And what we have learned is if he, if he completes the in-person interaction, that person will be back on Sunday. If he does not complete an in-person interaction, we'll see. Probably not. Um, So there's other variables you can throw in there. People ask me, like, man, what about call trees? We've done call trees. A call tree is where, you know, Bishop Powell would call 
1-800 number, blah, blah, blah. It's a pre-programmed number. And he would say, hey, everybody, man, this is Pastor Powell, and we're going to have a rocking service this Sunday. I'm going to be preaching about hope. I believe God's got hope for everyone. And if you're there, he'll do something great for you. Give us a call if you need a ride or have a special prayer request. Have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hangs up, and it will deliver it to everyone in your database. 800 people. Saves him from making a lot of phone calls. Uh, and all at once, when he hangs up the phone, they'll, they'll get a ring, pick it up, and hear that pre-recorded voicemail. So, but, but here's what I mean. You could give them free t-shirts. You can send them all a CD. You can send them the last four sermons on DVD. It doesn't matter. They're all different drivers. But what we have found in the statistical analysis of the drivers, this one may add a 0.5% retention rate. This one may add a 1%. But an in-person interaction adds over 80%. And in in, so you have got to do something face-to-face. -face. Small groups in person, Face to face. They are yours if you can get into their life. Make sense? Thank you. Yeah. There's a question up here. Any other questions around the room after this one? We, we keep moving around. Just raise your hand as they come up. Brother Anderson, incredible information. Um, you, you dealt, this is on the planting side of this. You, you, you talked about the four things, and it was mostly geared toward toward um, an event like you would come to our church yeah. and you'd do that. What is, how does this apply to the average everyday cycle of church, non-revival, non-special service, etc.? Does, yeah. does that make no, sense? No, no, really good question. So, um, and so there's two ways I would answer this. And because this is Nebraska, I'm going to answer it with the seasonal model. So, um, but there are two ways to run it. What I mean is some churches are perpetually in every Saturday is outreach mode. And every Sunday is this and on and on and on. But in areas that are more seasonal where the weather's not wildly conducive during winter, um, they may pull off, uh, back off a bit from evangelizing hard during the winter months. And that may be where they do a lot more discipling. They talk about teaching Bible studies and they gear up towards spring and summer and fall being their evangelistic time of year. But I just put together a proposal for a church on how they would run their full one-year, 12-month cycle. And what I do is I start backwards. I say, okay, tell me how much money you're willing to spend for the whole year on outreach. And I don't care what the number is. It could be $500. It could be $50,000. But give me the number. Okay, then let's work backwards. What will be your big events? Doesn't have to be an evangelist, but what are your Super Bowls? Okay, well, man, it's Easter and Christmas, and we do back to school in all nations. Maybe that's your story. So you got four. Okay, well, let's put those four on the calendar. Let's take then 60% of your yearly budget to throw towards those events. So that would mean the Saturday, the two Saturdays leading up to Easter. There would be big outreaches. Flyers need to be purchased. Facebook marketing dollars will be there. You'll upload a video and you'll boost it. So there's going to be some money there built around those four big ones. And then the rest of summer and spring, when the weather's good, you're going to be evangelistic and something will be running in the background. Um, that might be just regular church invitation videos. That might be on Instagram, your youth uh, gets interviewed and, and, and every once a week you pay 20 bucks 
And there's a video from a new youth saying, hey, we got the best church in town. We'd love to have you come out. We're this Sunday at 11 o'clock. And youth videos are going out on Instagram. But you build this portfolio along the calendar year based on what you want to spend, what are the big events, because then you know what's left over, and then you'll decide how to spend it. Now, the main buckets we spend in are door hangers. Of course, you'll always have church cards. But um, door hangers, mailers, and and online ads are our three biggest spends. At a low level, those may run all year long, you know, $10, $20 a month all year long. But when we do ramp up towards an event, then that spending will really increase. I've spent, what I'll do is when I visit home mission churches, and I don't think they have a budget, I'll help them spend in that category. Even I'll spend on my own Facebook to help get them stuff boosted and get people in the door and all that sort of stuff. It's a little annoying to get used to it at first, but it is a whole nother population. I might be able to make it with a group to 10,000 doors, but I can double that and get to another 10,000 on Facebook. So I think it's a worthy spend. You can spend, um, you can spend on Google too. There's Google AdWords. And the nice thing about all online spending is you set the cap, so it never gets out of control. But literally, if I live in Fort Smith... If someone types church in Fort Smith in Google, I need to be the first result. And if I'm not the first result, I may need to spend a little bit more there. If organically I'm the first result, I don't need to spend there. I'll spend it on Facebook instead. And so that's kind of how I'll work with churches. The, um, the other thing is what if God had a commission for us to truly reach everybody? That means poor people through rich people. Rich people respond very, very well to mailers. That is, that is the most success we have had getting them out. So I want to make sure at least once a year I do a mailer. Poor people respond very, very well to giveaways, naturally. And, and so at least once a year I might want to have a giveaway service where we're giving away bikes, tablets, iPads, whatever. And that flyer that says we got giveaways and free rides and hot dogs after service, I am building a portfolio for the year where I just give everybody a chance. I want to find a way to reach poor people. I want to find a way to reach rich people. I want to do something around the big Super Bowl services, and I want to have some presence all year long. So I kind of would build the calendar like that. Does that make sense? I know that's a big answer for a, yeah. And then, and then to, just to the pastors in the room, um, I, would, I would give you one other little challenge, and that would be tasking your leaders to also carry a goal for evangelism. So you know how we do in January, everybody does their planning meetings. And they throw, man, I want to do 400 events this year and blah, blah, blah. My department is the most important department in the church and I'm going to always need the building. You know, you, you guys have your fights over schedules and whatever. At that meeting, if I was the pastor, I'd say, guys, man, we're, we're going to do our regular deal, but this year we're going to grow like we've never grown. So when you give me your events, I want you to be able to tell me a story of how your department is going to grow. So those children's events you put on the calendar, how are you going to get new kids to those events? Your ladies' department, how are we going to have a front door so new ladies are at those events? Everything we do this year needs to also, even within the departments, be evangelistic. And then that helps you from not having such a huge burden of putting it on a second department of outreach to go knock every door. If each department itself is evangelistic and has a way for new people to come in, vastly more helpful.
I think we had another question back here. I have a question about the mailers. Yes. Um, I used to sell real estate and we had to purchase addresses. Yes. And I want to know the avenue that you take to do that so that we are not legally liable in some way. For yeah, so re real estate is, is the most regulated, uh, the most regulated marketing in the United States because of all these equal opportunity housing laws and all this stuff. None of those apply to churches. And the way the churches market's a little different. So, um, for instance, I, I advise a lot of churches to use a company like Outreach.com, but they could also use um, the EDDM program through USPS. But um, Outreach, because we're churches, we're nonprofits. And so everything's different. You can pick up the phone and call like Outreach.com, say, I want to do a big Easter mailer. And what they're going to tell you is there's two ways to do it. They say, one... You can just, as an individual business, try and pull this off, but the postage will be psycho, like 40 cents to be printed, shipped, and mailed out per unit. So if you pay $1,000, you're only going to make it to like 600 homes. So, or they'll say you can do this as a nonprofit. It takes you a few months to get lined up, but what you do is they'll say there's this little deal. You walk into the... Pro post office, you get this application, they verify that you're a church. Once they verify you're a church, all of a sudden, you can use outreach.com's mailing list for free, and you can mail under their nonprofit license for free, and it drops the cost to about five cents per mailed flyer. So now with $1,000, you're going to thousands of homes, right? Like so many people. We're preparing right now for our Easter deal. And I, I believe we're just our mailer in our city. We're going to mail to 10,000 homes. So again, if I can do, if I can get out 10,000 door hangers, mail to 10,000 homes, get to 10,000 on Facebook, I expect this Easter, we're going to have around 150 to 200 first time guests in our service. And uh, Jesus is going to do something awesome. Yeah. Great question. But yeah, always go for nonprofit mailing and, and the mailing list, depending on who you use, they'll be free. So when you have that many guests that come to your church, what do you do to get their contact info? Because it, that can be kind of a delicate situation. We used to chase them all down and we've changed some of the ways we are getting contact info. I'm just curious how you do it. Con contact info is vital. I just met with our, we, we, we call them the first impressions team. Before I flew here, the night before I got on the airplane, I met with that whole team, and I said, guys, you, I know you think you're good, but like, you don't have any idea how many can arrive, and, and it is going to test our systems. So here is what you need to do, and here is how you need to say it, because it's true. So one, um, you, you go to everyone, and if you're not sure, you go back to them again. Did you get one of these cards yet? Did you get one of these cards? Even during the service, you continue working the crowd, make sure everybody gets a card. But your mouth needs to say something that incentivizes the card or they won't complete it or they won't complete it accurately. Because, right, who would do that? If you go to Old Navy and they're like, hey, yeah, we're collecting everybody's phone number and email. Yeah, right, I'll get spam for the rest of my life. So we incentivize the card. And what we say at our church is, hey, we are so glad that you're here. 
Every single guest that comes gets a gift. If you'll fill this out, we just use it to make sure we get the gift to you. And that's exactly what we use it for because they're going to get that, that text or phone call later and somebody will knock at the door delivering a gift. Uh, and so because the card is, is incentivized, our people tend to fill it out. They fill it out and we'll tell them, I'll either come back for it or you can drop it in the offering. And uh, that also lets people who aren't going to give feel like they got to chuck something in the offering so it doesn't feel weird when the plate goes by and they're not putting something in. But whatever, they, um, they can either give it back to us or put it in the offering. We collect it, put it into our system, and it triggers all the other process. But I told that team, I, I was really mean to them, actually. I said, if we do not get the cards, you failed. Your job is not just to smile and open doors. If you don't get the cards, you failed because we'll immediately drop back to that 16% retention rate. If we have their contact info, we have a chance of connecting with them, but otherwise, we're in trouble. Anything else? All right. I'm going to hand it over to the bishop. Let's give the Lord a hand. I think one of my biggest takeaways today from what Brother Anderson has preached to us and what he uh, preached last night is start somewhere. Do something, you know. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of information. In fact, I've received a couple of texts, Brother Braden, asking if we can get your notes. So I am publicly asking you to send them to me, and I'll forward them on. <laughs> because there's a lot of information. And, and, you know, he backed up the 18-wheeler and just unloaded on us, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but don't leave here overwhelmed. Leave here saying, I can start somewhere. I can do something. Uh, I, I can, you know... Reach one person. You know, the, the story he told of, of that church of 20 and just a neighbor coming over. Start somewhere, you know. Um, I, I'm, I'm really good at math. In fact, I aced calculus when I had to get my degree. And that's a true story. I really did. I, I, got, I got lucky. But I, I, you know, I had to retake algebra. They wouldn't accept my, and I had to do that in calculus. It made me mad. But, but I did it. But, so I'm really good at math, and here's, here's, here's how good I am at math. If every one of us reached one person and brought them back next year, we would double. Yeah. Yeah. Preach it. Woo! Hallelujah. But seriously, I, I say that to say it starts with one, yeah. you know, and, and if each one of us tagged in, and, and the other thing I just want to uh, connect on is treat them like your baby. That resonated with me. As I'm writing it, I look over, my wife is typing it in her notes as well uh, that she's taking. And it, it, it resonated because, you know, we, we love our kids, we love our grandkids, we love our family. And if we'll treat that guest, that person, that they're mine, you know, you know what we'll do? We'll give them the best seat. We'll move so they can sit down. We'll make sure that, that they've had a great experience uh, in the congregation, in the service, and so forth. So... Amen. Praise God. Well, why don't we stand together? I do want to just make a, a brief announcement. I'm so excited. I was over this morning with our, our Spanish churches, and uh, we've got two new Spanish churches that will be starting this year. Amen. And excited about that. And for the district board members, there's got a couple of Spanish pastors that will be meeting us uh, for uh, applications. So we're excited for what God's doing and growing in that community. They had two get the Holy Ghost last night. We praise God for that. Amen. Praise God. And uh, they gathered today, and Brother Burnett is doing the same thing there 
this morning teaching them on practical principles of how they can reach their community. Brother Collins is also here right now working with Bethel and uh, transitioning their uh, Spanish church and helping um, Brother um, uh, Luciano start a new church. And so we're excited for that, what God is doing, and, and again, these practical principles. So as we pray... Why don't we pray for one another? Amen. Look around the room. There's a lot of different churches represented here across our state. Let's pray for our Spanish works, and let's pray for our unchurched works that they would rise up. Jesus, we thank you for everything you've given us from last night and today. Lord, as well, what you did with Brother Burnett and our Spanish churches. Now, God, this fire that you have put within us, this anointing that you have put upon us, this burden that you have birthed within us, help us to stoke the flame to keep it burning hot. I pray that we would leave here today doing something. That God, I pray every pastor, every minister, every saint would leave here with a passion to do something, to do better, to reach deeper, to plant and to water so that you might give the increase. We ask it and pray it. We believe it and expect it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. There has to be certain conditions necessary for a tornado. We're in tornado country. We talked about that the other day, and it's, I know it's freaking you out down there in Arkansas, but, you know, we've got to be, there's certain, um, uh, you know, things that have to happen in the weather. Just, you know, a tornado just doesn't just happen. There has to be conditions necessary. Same with a snowstorm. It's, it's probably not going to snow today because it's, it's upwards of 50 degrees, right? There has to be conditions necessary. And so I believe the conditions are necessary for an exponential revival, okay? But it's not just hype that we're going to leave feeling the anointing. It's us then going and doing the work. And as we go and do the work and keep that fire going, here's another way we're going to do it, Okay? You've, you've heard me say this for years. I'm going to keep saying it. We're one church. Your victory is my victory. And if tomorrow you baptize three, guess what? The district baptized three. And if five get the Holy Ghost in your church, guess what? The district had five get the Holy Ghost. And if you start two new Bible studies today with somebody at dinner, the district started two new Bible studies today. It's not a competition. We're in this together. I want to fill the seats of this church. I want you to fill the seats of your church. But I like how you said it. I want them to be filled in heaven too. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. So let's leave with that idea and vision and passion. God bless you. Thank you for taking time today to be here. Greet one another. Bless one another in Jesus' name.